today we're going to begin a new series of messages called Men and Women, Husbands and Wives. That pretty much covers all of us, right? And um, now when I say a new series, I, I need to qualify that by saying that we actually dealt with this stuff about six um, years ago. Uh, but I'll bet there's a lot of you that weren't with us then or uh, maybe don't remember. Now, I know that it's hard to believe on my part that you wouldn't remember something that I said six years ago, but uh, that's probably the case. So anyway, I feel like this is so important that it's important for us to, uh, enough for us to revisit it. So <clears throat> we're going to be talking about the differences between men and women and how those differences, where they come from, where those differences come from, and how God wants to help us to overcome the, not, not the, uh, the created differences between men and women, but the inherited differences. There are differences that we uh, inherit from Adam and Eve. Differences that have to do with how Adam and Eve were tempted in the Garden of Eden how they responded to that temptation differently. And the fallout of that comes down to us as men and as women differently. That's the part that we want to address uh, together in these weeks. Today and then the following two weeks, we're going to talk about today, men, next week women, and then husbands and wives under the titles Men of Mission, Women of Worth, Partners of Promise. Now, some of you are, uh, we're going to be reading in just a moment, Acts, or excuse me, Acts, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 15, and some of you are scripturally literate enough to know that in this passage is a huge minefield. And I need for you to promise me something. And I need for you to promise me, before we go any further, that you're going to set aside your, um, the pre- you know, the, the things that you are, are bringing to this passage from previous occasions of hearing preacher people like me address these issues, that you will set aside your initial reactions if for the first time we read this passage and it's new to you. And the reason for that is because um, for the most part, uh, this part of these verses that we're going to read today are grossly, grossly misinterpreted and misunderstood. And the problem with that, well, there's several problems, but one is that it keeps us from understanding the truth that, that God is really trying to get across to us. So, do you promise me? You guys over here, this section over here, you promise me you're going to set this aside today because we're going to get to it in two weeks. You're not going to freak out on me when I read these verses, right? Promise me. Okay, how about you guys right here? All right, you guys over here? <laughs> I'm, I'm ushers. Um, I'm holding you to this now, you guys, okay? Um, let's read verse 8, chapter 2, 1 Timothy. I desire, therefore, that the men pray everywhere. Before I go and finish that verse, let me remind you of something we've said many times, but it's worth repeating, that when you're reading the Bible and you see the word therefore, ask yourself the question, what's the therefore, therefore? In this case, the therefore is there for this reason. 
Paul has just been speaking in this letter to his son in the faith, Timothy, chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, about the high calling of God on his people to be world changers through prayer. And this is not the subject for today's message, but heaven knows we are in a time when it, God needs for some people, his people, to step up into the role of intercessory prayer warriors and see the world change. Would you agree with that? But Paul has just said that we have been commissioned by God to see the, the geopolitical climate around us changed by the praying of God's people. So it's a high calling. Because we have this high calling, therefore, because we have this high calling, here's what I need to tell you. And that'll go on through verse 15. And then Chapter 3, uh, the whole first part of that chapter is about how men and women can become leaders, uh, elders and deacons in the church of Jesus Christ. Another humongous, powerfully uh, important passage dealing with the high calling upon us as followers of Christ. So sandwiched between this calling to be a world changer through intercessory prayer and becoming leaders in the church of Jesus Christ that is the only hope of the world is this section that we're dealing with over the next few weeks. It talks about men and women and husbands and wives. It's not there by chance. It's sandwiched in the, between these two uh, key passages because we will never experience the, the fulfillment of the high call of God upon our lives if we don't get this right. That's why it's here. So he says, therefore, I want men to pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. And in like manner, so... In a similar way, he, he, he's saying, in like manner, in a similar way also, that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Now we switch gears and from verse 11 through verse 15 having dealt with some specific things addressed to men and then some specific things addressed to women, he begins to talk about how men and women uh, relate to each other as couples or in, uh, as married um, couples. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission and I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. By the way, we're in that place right now where you promised me you're going to hold off, right? Okay, so I, uh, let a woman learn in silence with all submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man but to be in silence. For Adam was, for, uh, was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. And let me just get this out right now, even though we're not going to deal with it. Paul is not saying to Timothy, tell the women to, be, to shut up and have babies and everything will be okay. Paul is not saying that, okay? okay. So, we're, <laughs> so we're setting that all aside. But I do want you to notice a couple of things in verses 13 and 14 before we go back to verse 8 and talk to men. It says here, for Adam was formed first. That is not saying Adam was better than. It's not a, a statement of superiority. It's so that we get the chronology right. Adam had, was the first to hear from God directly. You can have everything in this magnificent garden. Do not eat 
of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Adam heard that first, had longer time to uh, process that and understand it. So Adam was formed first, then Eve. And God is helping to understand that, that it's likely that Eve receives this command from God through Adam, secondhand. She had less time to, uh, and less direct access to that command from God. That may have set her up differently for the deception that's coming. It says that Adam was not deceived. That's not to say that he was less culpable. Not by a long shot. But it's telling us the manner in which uh, temptation came to him and how he responded to it differently than the way temptation came to Eve and how she responded. It says, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. That's important for our discussion this morning and next week as well as the following. So let me just kind of set this up for you. We're told that Eve was offered a, t a temptation in the form of deception. De he, she was deceived. And she fell in sin. Contrary to that, Adam knew full well what he was doing. He was not deceived. With eyes wide open, knowing exactly the choice that he was making, he decided. He decided to rebel against God and to eat of that fruit. Now, you're going to have to just um, consider something with me. I, I can't... Uh, there's not a way for me to uh, nail this down completely, but I'd like for you to just consider something with me. This we know from the passage that Adam was with Eve. Whether she, he was standing right there with her and, or in proximity, we don't know, but he was with her in the time of this, of this temptation. He didn't phone it in. He was there, okay? Could it have been, I think so, could it have been that had Eve having already eaten, already sinned, before Adam made the choice to join her in that sin, could he have redeemed that situation? Remember, he's a sinless man. Could he, as a sinless man, in some form, taken the penalty for her sin that, that could have made everything different? And instead of you and I being inheritors of a sinful nature, wow, I can't even, I can't even fathom what life would be like apart from that. But maybe it could have been different. Here's why I think that, or I wonder about that. Because the Bible says in two different places that the sin that has come down to us came down to us through Adam, not Eve, through Adam. It was, it was his action, the Bible says, that caused all the rest of us to be dealing with the fallout of sin that we all deal with. It also, the Bible tells us that Jesus, in his role as redeemer, it refers to him as the second Adam. The Bible says that. Jesus, who was a sinless man, also fully God, but a sinless man, took the penalty for all of us and made possible redemption, forgiveness of sin. Could Adam have acted similarly? I, I think that the likelihood is quite high, but he did not. He did not. Now that's important 
for what we're going to talk about now as we talk about men of mission. Back to verse 8. Listen, I've been a pastor for 35 plus years and um, I have through that time talked to and counseled with and dealt with men uh, in every kind of situation. And one of the things that's a common thread through all of those conversations is that we want to, as men, we want to be on mission. We want to, um, we want to be challenged in ways that we have to step up into and we want to come through. We want to come through. We want to meet the challenges and come through. Most of our lives are, are something less than that. Most of our lives are lived out in just sort of maintaining, just kind of getting along, doing, you know, the chores of life. And it, and it has a, a dulling sense upon it, a diminishing, numbing sense on us. Most of us as men have, have a, uh, a sense of not uh, being on mission. But God wants just the opposite. He has sandwiched the, this, these verses, this verse, verse 8, in between two sections of high calling. God wants you, brother, to become someone who helps change the geopolitical climate of this world through your prayers. Someone who helps lead the church of Jesus Christ, the hope of the world. But you've got to get this right which means overcoming the stain, the stigma, the after effects, the impact of Adam's fall. So let's talk about some of the, the characteristics of fallen men. And let's talk about where that comes from in terms of what we've inherited through Adam's fall and what God wants to do to change that so we can get on mission. Does that sound like a good idea? All right. And by the way, look, we're, over the next few weeks, we're, we're doing this in the same room with each other, men and women. So no, you know, elbows to the ribs, none of that kind of stuff, okay? Give each other a break and space to be able to respond to things that the Lord might say without trying to help it along, okay? <laughs> Paul says, I desire that men pray everywhere. Why did he say that? Let me ask you something. Have you noticed that men, more than women, tend to be reserved in terms of spiritual responsiveness? We're usually, we're usually slow to the passionate um, expressions of worship and intensity in terms of how we follow God. There's a sort of a, I don't know why, and it seems to be... Um, even more so t when, when our wives or children around, are around. Now, you know, I want to tell you, last, yesterday we had our man, uh, monthly man-up meeting next door, and <clears throat> I asked the guys, you know, at the close of our worship time, just to really rear back and let God have it. And man, I, you know, the intensity of, of, of holy passion that erupted in that room was almost enough to melt the paint. I'm telling you, it was powerful. There's nothing about being a man that prohibits us from being able to express our hearts before God without restraint. But a lot of us have trouble with that. And the reason is we deal with the shame of not coming through, inherited through our forefather Adam. Even if we're not conscious of it, and likely most of us aren't, 
there's still something of that sense of failure that, that hangs over us. You know, um, neurologists tell us that men's brains are different than women's in several ways, but one of the ways that they're, they're different is that men have fewer connections between the hemispheres of their brains. That means that we can more easily compartmentalize things. Women have lots more connections between the hemispheres, and so for them, everything is connected to everything. Guys, not so much. We are able to have little boxes in our brain where, you know, I have the box for my work, I have the box for my entertainment, I have the box for my family life, I have a box for God. And the boxes don't touch, they don't interact with each other, they don't connect with each other often. <clears throat> and so it is possible for a man to have a to have a desire to know God and have truly a God box and not realize that he has God in a box. But we, a lot of times we live, even Christian men, we will live out our faith in Jesus having God in a, confined to a certain part of our life, not because we wouldn't want him to be uh, fully integrated with the rest of our lives, but we can't imagine he'd want to. Why would he want to be with me at work? Why, why, would, he, why would he want to be involved in my, my recreational pursuits? Why, I, I don't deserve God's attention in any way. That shame keeps, uh, helps us to keep God boxed in. Dear one, God wants to break out of that box for you. Brother, God wants to break out of that box. So Paul says, look, Let's pray everywhere. Let's have a seamless conversation with God that doesn't stop at any boundaries. When you're on the job, now look, I don't mean that you stand up in your cubicle and get everybody's attention and say, hey now, I'm about to pray. No, I don't mean that. But I mean that God is well, uh, there's no end, beginning or end to the conversation with God. He is the, the one who you are with always. Paul says, let's do that. Let's be those guys. There's a truth that you need to capture if you haven't already found in Colossians 2.13. It says, and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Gentlemen, you have been forgiven. Forgiven. There's no need for shame. We have been forgiven. So we are invited into a seamless relationship with God. I invite you, brother, to reconsider the box that you have God in out of a sense of shame. That's not the way he wants it. And it's not the way you want it either. So then Paul says to him, let's lift up holy hands. Why does he say that? Well, have you noticed that men, more than women, seem to have a susceptibility to unholiness? And probably the, the most uh, uh, glaring example of that is with sexual temptation and perversion. Men are more susceptible to that than women. Why? Why? Why do we deal with this stuff? Why are our hands so unclean? 
I think it's because we have a distorted self-image that we've inherited through our father Abraham and his, and his failure. I mean, not Abraham, our father Adam and his, his failure. A, a distorted self-image. We think of ourselves as already stained with sin. So what's a little bit more? You know, by my house, there's a, I live on Mare Island, there's these old cement bomb shelter bunker things that are all over, and they're kind of weird looking, but you get used to them, and they are part of the landscape, you know, and somebody came through the other day and uh, spray painted or tagged, you know, uh, some of them, and I was a little upset by that because I, I walked through this little park there where they are, and, but thankfully, Vallejo came through and painted over them quickly. That's the key, by the way, of dealing with graffiti because if you leave it, it attracts more. Why? Well, because it's already tagged. It's already dis defaced. What's a few more spray paints uh, things on there? And a lot of us men, we feel that way about our lives. Oh, I'm already, you know, toast. So what's, what's a little more? On the other hand, if you knew what God knows about you, that in Christ you're not only forgiven, but your history is cleansed. Might make the difference in how you handle the temptations that come your way. Listen to this. In Colossians 2.14, it says, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Jeremiah 31, 34, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16, but he who has called you is holy. You also be holy in all your conduct because it is written, Be holy for I am holy. This is God our Father saying, Look, my son, I'm holy. You can be too. It's an invitation to holy living. Our dad is holy. So can we be. Let's stop choosing to buy that lie of the enemy that, you know, a little more isn't going to make a difference. You and I, dear ones, we start with a clean slate before God. Let's keep it that way. Lifting up holy hands. Not hands we've cleansed ourselves. You couldn't do that. But hands he's cleansed. In fact, would you, men, would you stand with me right now? Let's just do that. Let's just lift our, let's lift our hands to God and imagine that the cleansing work of Jesus Christ we just read from his word applies to you and me. Right now, right here, God, see us. We want to be your sons. We want to live the way you do. We lift up hands, Lord, that we, they've been places they shouldn't be, but right now, we thank you that there is not only forgiveness, but cleansing. Go ahead and be seated again. He goes on to say, um, give up wrath. Give up wrath. Have you noticed that men more than women send, seem to have a problem with anger? Most anger management classes and 
books and podcasts and all that stuff are directed at who? They're directed at men. Why is that? Why is it that we are reflexively competitive? You tell me about a new television you bought, and I'm already in defense mode. I'm already going to compete with you. I'm already thinking about how I'm going to top that. Why is it that at the drop of a hat, we have to make everything a battle, everything a competition? Why is that? I don't know about you, but I'm tired of that. Look, I, I, I love, I watch the, I'm a baseball fan. I know nobody else is in the world anymore, but I, I watched the World Series this week, and I loved it. I, lo- I didn't get to see many games this, uh, this year, so I loved it. I, I'm not saying that, you know, sport competition, that kind of thing, is, is evil or anything. I'm just saying, why is it that we live our lives in this ongoing competition, defense, anger mode? It's not the way God meant for us to live. Where does that come from? It comes from the insecurity that we have, again, inherited from the, kind, the way that Adam was tempted and the way that he responded to it. We have a sense of insecurity about our standing with God. But John 1 verse 12 says, But as many as received him... He gave the right, the authority, the privilege to become children of God to those who believe in his name. Look, we have a standing with God as his children, his sons. Galatians 3.26 says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. We have a place to stand that is secure. I don't need to gain my security by taking yours. I don't need to fortify my self-worth by putting yours down. I am a son of God. You can't take anything from me. I don't need to be afraid of you. Go ahead, have the biggest TV you want to have. It isn't going to bother me. I'll just go home to my 48-inch and be all right. (laughs) Right? So instead of of, uh, giving place to this low, slow-boil anger that pollutes so much of our lives, let's choose instead to love Give and serve others. That's why he says, give up the wrath thing. Let's be men who know how to love, how to serve, how to give. And then he says one more thing. He says, give up doubting. Give up doubting. Have you noticed that men more than women tend to to be skeptical and fear commitment? It's almost a joke. In fact, it is a joke. It's always, you know, the guy who won't step up and propose because he's afraid of commitment, right? Well, there's a truth to that. Men more than women kind of just hold everything at arm's length. We're not so sure about anything. We don't trust you because we don't trust ourselves. The lack of commitment, ladies, is not because we don't trust you. It's because we don't trust ourselves. We know We didn't come through. Adam did not come through. We will not come through either. We've had enough history of our own failure to know, you know, we can't be trusted. 
so we don't trust you. That's no way to live either. Holy smokes, who wants to be this guy? I don't want to be him anymore. I want to be someone who understands I am believed in by the Most High. The guy who knows me best trusts me. Trusts me with his gospel. Acts 1.8, but you shall, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be witnesses to me, Jesus says, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth. 2 Corinthians 5.20, now then we are ambassadors for Christ. That means I am the representative of the kingdom of God in this world. God trusts me enough To appoint me as his ambassador. Look, if he believes in me, I can believe in myself. And if I can believe in myself, then I can believe you. I can give up doubting. And I can rest in the faithfulness of God. That's the guy I want to be. I'll bet you do too. I bet you want to be the guy who understands that he is forgiven and there's no shame and has a seamless relationship with God that runs through every aspect of his life. I believe that you want to be a guy who understands that his record before God is cleansed. Cleansed. God has chosen to forget my sin. And I can make a commitment to holy living because my dad is holy. I believe that you probably want to be like me, a guy who is not reflexively competitive but understands that real the real pleasure of his life is found not in when I, what I could take from somebody but what I could give them giving up wrath I believe you probably want to be like me someone who is willing to step beyond self-doubt trust what Jesus says about me that I'm believed in and start living that way, resting in the faithfulness of God. This is recording number 11234 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Foursquare Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, November 6, 2016. This is the first message in a series titled, Men and Women, Husbands and Wives. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, Men of Mission.